Good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Bernie, and uh, I'm the pastor here. And uh, it's just really lovely, actually, to see um, some old friends this morning and, um, and some new faces that can become new friends, I guess, over time. Um, it's wonderful to uh, yeah, be here together. Um, uh, uh, let me just say, Kathy did not make a mistake in, when, uh, when she did the kids' passage on, um, on the little bit that, that's a bit further on in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is this brilliant passage that really is it's so interconnected that I, had to, I, couldn't, I didn't want to do the whole thing in one sermon, right? So I said, Kathy, I'm preaching on chapter 9. You can take anything you want from there, maybe this bit, maybe that bit, um, but I'm just going to look at this bit. So the, the Messiah bit, wonderful, brilliant kids talk, right, as well, um, chickens and baby sharks and, and stuff. But uh, we're, just, we're going to stop short of the key verse that um, you were the Messiah um, for this morning. We'll have to to get to that another time. What I would like to do is find the clicker. That's what I would like to do. First. Second, what I would like to do is um, offer you the chance to win one of these. Yeah, see, oh my goodness. The, the, like, I, I look at you guys every week, right? But just holding that and then the, it's different. It's a different level of engagement. Um, something's happened with my font there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'd like to give you a memory test. And the prize is uh, one of these two chocolate eggs for you. And to win either of these chocolate eggs, you're going to need to remember, um, or I suppose guess if you weren't here at the time, remember um, either of two obscure little details from a sermon that I gave last year on the 16th of March... Um, on the text of Luke chapter 6, verse 13. What are the chances of this? We'll see how we go. Maybe we'll be doing more guessing than remembering, and that's fine. Um, uh, now, uh, how, how to win them? It'll be the first hand in the air with the correct answer um, to each of my two questions. I'm going to tell you what the, the question is, what the, what the test is, uh, and then I'll read the passage that it's from, and then I'll ask for your hands in the air. So you've got a minute to think about it, okay? Um, uh, that's where we're going. Here's the test. At the time, um, so a year ago, I said that disciples are like one kind of animal, and apostles are like another kind of animal. And what I'm going to be asking you to do is to tell me what are those kinds of animals? What are the animals that disciples are like and what are the animals that apostles are like? Okay, so that's the test. Uh, Let me read you the verses. So this is from back in Luke chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 12 in in case you'd like to check it out later, um, where we read, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God, when morning came, he called his disciples, his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles, right? And then Luke lists the names of the 12 apostles, Simon and Andrew and James, and um, on they go. So the word disciple and the word apostle mean slightly different things. And I gave us two animals to help us remember. Disciples are like Blank, one kind of animal. Apostles are like blank, right? So let's start with the first one, disciples, okay? Who would like to remember what the uh, disciples are like? I said disciples are like a particular kind of animal. Yeah? Yes. Do you remember why I said that they were like dogs? (laughs) That's fine. There's no chocolate eating the why. Um, 
Okay, so doggy disciples, yeah, and I said apostles are like a different kind of animal. Would anyone like to try and remember what kind of animal the apostles are like? You can, you can have a shot. What kind of, what kind of animals are, yeah? What did you say? No, that's not, that would be a good symmetry there. So that is a good guess, but it's wrong. Yeah, sorry. No, not sheep. Another good one. Yeah, okay. Anyone else? This at this stage it's looking like I'm getting it. Yeah. Yes! Oh my goodness! Did you was that a guess or were you here? I can't even remember. Brilliant. And can you can you remember why apostles are like pigeons? Ah, dude. This is brilliant. Okay, that's the end of the sermon for today. Thank you. (laughs) Doggy disciples and apostle pigeons. I said uh, disciples are like doggies. Why are disciples like doggies? Because they follow you around. They're obedient. They follow what you say. They hang on your every word. They're faithful, lovely, obedient doggy disciples. But apostles are like pigeons, like carrier pigeons. So in the old days, well before mobile phones... Um, it, one way, if you wanted to send a message, was to write a message on a teensy tiny little slip of paper and roll it up and attach it to a pigeon's leg, and then that pigeon, that wonderful pigeon, could carry your message to, uh, well, a specific place, to the ends of the earth, where you wanted it to go. So the, imagine the apostle pigeons, the ones carrying the message of the gospel for Jesus to the ends of the earth. So doggy disciples and apostle carrier pigeons... Uh, So chapter 6, Jesus chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. But then he doesn't send them anywhere at Luke chapter 6. Instead, what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus preaches to them like doggy disciples. He preaches the wonderful news about the kingdom of God. He preaches all about God's love and God's forgiveness, even for people who aren't lovable and people who don't deserve to be forgiven, which I suppose is all of us when you think about it. He preaches about making the world a better place, and that's what he's going to be about. Um, He speaks to people who are hurting. He speaks to hypocrites. He speaks to people who are grieving. He speaks to greedy people, uh, to all of them and he says God's kingdom is here I'm here I'm bringing it right now and he shows it by raising the dead and healing the sick all of the things that um, Kathy spoke to us about before um, healing people whose lives have become um, quite a horror story in this world and setting things right I am here God is among you um, the promised hope of all God's prophets has arrived until finally Luke chapter 9 verse 1 we read this When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out, there's the apostle word, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, friends, this is where I think it starts to get personal for us. We're going to be delving into this passage a bit more. I'm going to pray in a moment and and we'll, we'll dig right in. But this is where I think it starts to get personal for us and Uh, And this is um, what we're going to think about today. You and I, we may not be apostles like capital A, gathered there around the earthly Jesus, named and picked personally. But do we realise that like those first apostles, uh, we hold out hope for a hurting world around us. We have the message 
A tiny little message rolled up, strapped to our ankle, as it were, um, for the world around us. The very same hope that they had and got to share with the world around them, we have for the world around us. Is Jesus, in our eyes, the heart of the hope that we hold out for our hurting world? That's what I want us to dwell on today. Uh, Do we live in the grip of that hope? Does Jesus occupy the heart of the hope that we hold forth for ourselves, for one another and for those around us? Um, Lengthy introduction, but it involved chocolate. Um, Hopefully a shorter sermon today. Let's pray and we'll dive in together to Luke chapter 9. Please keep that open in front of you. Our Father God in heaven, would you lift our hearts this morning, please? Uh, Father, we look at our world And sometimes we look at our own lot in life and our hearts sink. And in fact, even in Luke's story, Luke's gospel that we've been reading, um, Luke paints a a pretty bleak portrait of our world, a place full of sadness and sickness and sorrow and sometimes nastiness. But Father, we need encouragement at times. We do need a lift. Sometimes we just need a reminder of things that we already know to be true. Our God, thank you that Jesus came to the real world, this hard world, this hostile world. And Father, thank you that he came so that our world might hear the heart of a hope that can heal them and heal us all. Uh, Father, thank you that we can hear of Jesus and soak in the world around us. So God, would you refresh our hearts now as we look again at this wonderful part of your word, 12 men courageously confronting the world with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Lead us today, please, and lift us up with this word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So here's our big idea for today, and if you are taking notes, uh, that's the one to um, pop down at the top of your sheet there. Um, Jesus is the heart of the hope we hold out to our hurting world. Jesus is the heart of the hope we hold out to our hurting world. And um, this is his wise plan that we've known about since at least chapter 6. Jesus sends and commissions and entrusts uh, 12 very ordinary, um, earthly, unimpressive sinners with taking his kingdom to their world. Uh, That is, Jesus is the heart of our world's hope, but he sends ordinary humans to hand that hope on, even ordinary humans like you and me. Uh, shouldn't we at least wonder and ponder how on earth could anyone believe that they are fit for such a task? Um, Are you fit for the task of representing Jesus to the watching and waiting and hurting and sometimes hostile world around you? I suspect not. I don't think any of us are up to that task truly, but here's the extraordinary thing, which is comforting in a way, Jesus sends them anyway. He sends those 12 men anyway with that task. Jesus sends his church anyway down the ages and he expects his kingdom to come and to grow and to advance and for hope to take hold and to begin to heal the world around us. It's a magnificent plan that he works even in us and in our midst. So this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I think the passage shows us um, three things about these apostles which translate fairly neatly to us. So not, not everything in the story translates to our situation 
um, quite so specifically. Some details are very specific to their time and place and the circumstance in the unfolding story of um, Jesus coming into the world. But I'd like to highlight three things today. What are the three things that we can say for sure about all of Jesus' messengers, whether we're official, official apostles or ordinary Christians? And the first one is power. Power. As in Jesus equips his apostles with the power that they need to proclaim, the power that they need to proclaim. Um, And of of course it's true of these first apostles that they had extraordinary power to drive out demons, it tells us, and to heal the sick, those emblems, those symbols, those validating signs that Jesus' kingdom was really coming among them. Um, But those were not the heart of the task for those apostles, actually. Please don't confuse those powerful signs as the core of the kingdom or the heart of their mission. Let's look closely at the the words here from verse 1. Remember, Jesus wasn't confused for just a miracle worker in this passage. What was he confused for, as the text rolls on, for a prophet? The apostles fundamentally had power to proclaim. There's the heart of it. Let's read from verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Right, and we won't read the following verses, but then Herod and the people wondered which one of the prophets has come amongst them. Have we we got on our hands, do you see? Brothers and sisters, does it sometimes seem feeble to us that proclaiming the good news of Jesus, does it seem a little backward to us that proclaiming the kingdom of God is the power that Jesus back then and the power that Jesus today equips his church with for the growth of his kingdom? Wouldn't it seem better in our eyes if we had some of those other powers as well, more glorious in our eyes? Friends, I guess I want us to take comfort in this. Jesus locates the advance of his mission to save the world in the word. And that was the case even back then. Their task was to proclaim the kingdom, to turn the world around, to mend the broken, to love the enemy, to breathe hope to heavy hearts. He sent them out to speak a message like little carrier pigeons to carry the message of their master to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, do we still remember, do we still hold it at the heart of our hope that our God reveals his love for our world through the word of the gospel? That's how the people around us are to hear of Christ. And think about your own personal history. That's how I was saved in my teens I bet it was how many of you were saved, young or old, as you look back upon your testimony and what God's done in your life 
over the years, an encounter with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that, that hearing that gospel that came alive to you in the work of the Spirit in your life. Isn't that the case? Put it this way, if we had the power to miraculously heal the sick or to drive out demons, whatever that would look like, or to raise the dead in this world, as we've just seen recently in Luke's Gospel with Jesus, those feats of power, they would be but pointers to the saving work of God in Christ in the Gospel. They proclaim Jesus. Does the proclamation of Jesus enjoy a big enough place in our lives? Uh, Does the speaking the gospel of Jesus enjoy a big enough place in our family life, in our church life, here in our ministries, uh, in our friendships, in the things that we pray for and the kind of friend that we aim to be, in our personal reading, in our podcast listening, some food for thought. Where, is the, where do we locate the power ultimately for the expansion of the gospel in this world? Um, secondly, imperfections. Imperfections. And this one, imperfections, this one obviously isn't something that Jesus gave to his disciples. <laughs> Jesus didn't need to give his disciples imperfections as if they didn't have plenty of them already. My point is this, the kingdom of God does not grow in this story um, by Jesus replicating himself, cloning himself, making more perfect selves uh, to uh, expand out into the world, um, you know, where it starts with Jesus and he copies his perfect sa- saviour self uh, to go out and now there's 12 more perfect saviour selves who then march forth um, into the world in his name, sort of like a hydra or like a Minecraft, what are the green ones, slime or something like that, where they replicate themselves. No, no, we're reminded that the mission doesn't hang on, it doesn't depend on you, Christian. You are not the perfect one. None of his disciples ever were the perfect ones. Uh, My point is this, the kingdom of God does not grow in this story by Jesus replicating himself. It grows in this story by Christ uh, using, personally using his imperfect disciples. Uh, God doesn't personally need us or depend on us or rely on our perfection. We are allowed, like the disciples, to rest. We are expected to depend on him. He knows that we are imperfect. Um, Rather, it's his power. While we are imperfect, Jesus sees to the success of his mission personally. Let's read from verse 10 together. And um, could we, just as we read here, could you keep your eye on the disciples particularly? Because the, the story kind of follows Jesus in a sense. But just keep your eye on where the disciples are and what they're doing and where they're going. Verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he, Jesus, he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowd learned about it and followed him. He, as in Jesus, welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, and on it goes, we'll read that in just a moment. I'm very conscious that in our church, some of you pour in hours, some of the best hours of your week, into serving the cause of Jesus, into serving uh, 
Christ in our church or beyond our church in, in other wonderful ways, in other wonderful ministries or whatever. And Christian, I want you to know that those efforts are worth it and they're valued. They're a great way to invest your time and invest your life. They are real. Um, we give thanks to God for you, for what you, how you invest in our children or how you invest in our siblings or, or whomever it is or just our friends or just in the gospel. Indeed, some of you perhaps suspect that no one quite notices. And you might be right. <laughs> in fact, I think that's normal uh, in, in the end, that no one but God really knows how much you may be pouring yourself out in the service of the Lord. Uh, but, and I need to hear this myself, does the kingdom of God depend on me personally or on you personally as one of the disciples of Jesus? Did you follow the disciples there? So they go out and they preach and they proclaim like good apostles should. They come back to Jesus and the gang withdraws to Bethsaida. Verse 11, but the crowds learned about it and followed him, as in the crowds were interested in Jesus. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Where were the disciples at this point? Verse 12 implies that they were off resting. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him. I think Jesus, now I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but I think Jesus was reminding his disciples that the mission centres on, it depends on, it hangs on one person and one person only. And that person ain't us, mercifully so. It's okay not to have any more to give. Jesus didn't recruit you to his cause because he needed a saviour for his saving plans. Jesus didn't sign you up because he needed your intellect or your can-do or because he wanted someone who could always give the right answers. He didn't need his disciples to be perfect in every way. Um, In fact, we we won't cover this today, but do you realise that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom um, before verse 20, which, which we read before. So uh, verse 20, if you just cast your eyes down there, what am I talking about there? Uh, where Jesus asks the disciples, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, God's Messiah. So they aren't even able to articulate for themselves fully that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and when they do, they still don't get what he even means by that. And yet Jesus will use them in their imperfection, in their feeble understanding for the growth of his kingdom and for the healing of the world. Sister or brother, you may feel your imperfections very, very keenly indeed, and like you're not much of a disciple of Jesus and haven't got very much to offer, why on earth would Jesus want you to represent him or proclaim him to your friends or colleagues? Couldn't he find someone more articulate or better equipped for the job? I ask myself the very same questions, question at times, yet in the strange wisdom of God, the power belongs to him and he will see to his mission personally, despite and sometimes even through our imperfections, which I think is great news. And that leads us to see, finally, that we are entirely dependent on his provision Uh, That is, provision is a bit of a funny word. I'm saying that Jesus provides for the success of his kingdom. Um, 
Now, uh, as we read this next bit, could you just answer this um, for yourself? Um, who is this miracle for? Okay, so we're about to read the loaves and the fish and all of that and the feeding of the um, thousands of, of people. It says 5,000 men. I suppose the way you numbered armies was by numbering the men. So there could have even been more, um, more people than just 5,000. Anyway, um, the, the way Luke tells it, though, I'm not convinced that the crowds even necessarily realise, even know what is happening in their midst uh, with the bread shortage. Perhaps they do, but I think the lesson, the emphasis may actually be on the disciples, isn't it? The 12. See what you reckon as we read through together from verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So when we all uh, first got here to church this morning, um, how many of us do you reckon there were? Um, My guess would be about 100, maybe slightly more, just looking at the number of us in the room at the present time. So uh, just in terms of the equivalent numbers of people, we've got about 100 here. Imagine 50 summer leases worth of people sitting in groups. I, I, I realise that it switched around the other way, but you know what I mean. 50 lots of us all around sitting in groups. Um, 50 lots of us, five loaves, two fish. And I know some of you are pretty keen fishermen, and I've seen photos on Facebook of some of the fish that you've caught. Pretty big fish. How would they go amongst one of us? let alone 50 of us summerlies is here, right? Even the biggest tuna that you've caught, right? I'm, th- I'm thinking it's not going to go very far. Um, friends, what was the lesson for them back then and what is the lesson for us today? Let's ask ourselves here, in terms of what we've read, is it that Jesus cares? That Jesus, he really cares, not just for the minds of the listeners, for what's going on up here as the word bounces between their ears in their minds, his message. He cares not just for their minds, but for their bodies and for their bellies. Don't send them away. Jesus cares for his children, for those he calls when people respond to the word of his kingdom. Here's a physical emblem that I care. I'll be there for you. Uh, Kind of like the healings were an emblem of his physical care for people, right? It could be that. It could be just a message that Jesus cares. But notice the emphasis on the disciples, I think, pushes us in a slightly different direction. You see, verse 13, you give them something to eat. You do it, my disciples. Verse 16, they distribute the food. Jesus has the disciples distribute the food. Verse 17, the disciples are the ones... Uh, They who pick up all of the leftovers. 
See, I think it's more than just Jesus cares and more than uh, one day the hungry will be fed, sort of a foretaste of the the rich blessing of God that is to come in the gospel. Um, They're hungry because they came to Jesus, because they listened and because they put the kingdom first. And now, what are they going to do? I think it is a lesson, rather, for the disciples. And in that way, for every church that wants to put the gospel first, but feels the pull. Who will look after us? Who will provide for this kingdom uh, that we commit ourselves to? If we invest heavily in the kingdom of God and really throw ourselves at the proclamation of the gospel, well, we know that God cares about a church that preaches about Jesus. Will he care about the church that hungers one way or another? I think it's this reminder, the Lord will provide for his people to proclaim Not a licence to be reckless, uh, but an assurance that he is faithful. Jesus has the power. He sees to his mission personally, even through our imperfections, and he can be trusted to provide. Uh, Could we conclude where we began? Uh, Not with the chocolate, by the way. Sorry. Uh, Well, actually, if you've been taking good notes and even given it a bit of a scribble, well, you probably will get an opportunity for a chocolate um, if you're uh, young enough or at least can pretend to be um, uh, afterwards. Um, with the Sorry, if you're new amongst us, that's a reference to after the sermon, right? Like the kids who fill in the sheet, and, and I'm pretty generous with what counts for filling in the sheet. You, you come and show it to me at the back of the hall and I've got a treat for you, either a chocolate or a little lolly or whatever. Sorry, that was obscure reference if you're not kind of in the know. Anyway, that's... Um, I was trying to conclude. Goodness gracious. Um, Where did we begin? We began with Luke chapter 6 and verse 13. We began with these words. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Carrier pigeon apostles. Brothers and sisters, as we look around at one another, why is it that God chose us Right here, right now, among our community, among our friends, to carry the gospel of Jesus to the hard and hurting world around us. Why has he done that? Why has he chosen you? Friend, in a sense, I don't know. Not in the specific detail of the plans of God. But I think we know this. God means through his power to proclaim Jesus. And he is pleased, has always been pleased to use his children. He's pleased to use us, though he doesn't need us, and we can trust him to provide for us. But be sure of this, he means to reach the world around us. And he has privileged us to get involved in that hopeful task together. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, who are we that you would send Christ to live and to die and to give it all for us? Who are we? And yet he did. Who are we that Christ should care for us and seek us out and reach us in the call of the gospel in our lives? But there it is, you have. Christ has done it by your spirit in this world in our lives. Father God in heaven, we marvel at your strange and beautiful ways. You don't just bring hope to us, 
you give us a hope to share with those around us. Father, we're acutely aware that we don't have what it takes, that we aren't powerful or impressive. Uh, But we come back to this and we rest in this assurance that Jesus is both powerful and impressive, for he is perfect. Our God, please do use us to proclaim Christ. Uh, Use us together with one another in partnership and in unity as this church family and in partnership with others beyond. Father, we won't be here forever in this life. And so give us courage, please, to not waste opportunities. uh, But give us contentment too, to spend our lives to the glory of our Saviour and for the hope and the healing of your world. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.